Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds at the same time. And again, we ask all those distractions and things that would keep us from being able to focus, Lord, would be set aside that we might draw close to you and close together and in your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning we'll be continuing in the 13th chapter of Romans. Today we'll be starting at verse 8. Paul writes, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Before I actually get to the text this morning, I want to do a little bit of a a review, just a summary kind of thing. And and as we've gone through the book of Romans, and we've been in it for quite a while, just a reminder, the first 11 chapters of going through in, in the book of Romans is really reflecting God's love for us through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So as we go through those, it's kind of setting the page. This is God's love coming down to us. Chapters 12 through 16 are more in a sense a response of our responding to God's love. And so it's, it's more uh, how the, the, the love of God is working in us, transforming us, and how the believer, therefore, should be interacting with the people around him. And, and so that's where we're, we're looking. Uh, one commentator said uh, uh, that you could summarize this section of verses with, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And, and look at it that way. That's 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. So... I was looking at this, and even in, 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 the, in chapter 12, which we completed a while back, uh, a number of places where Paul is speaking about the action, actually love itself or the action of love. For instance, like uh, verse 9, let love be genuine. Chapter 12 of Romans, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, we've spent quite a bit of time on those verses, but just that idea. Outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, you, you it's not like it's a competition as much as the desire to just really lift someone up and, 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 and honor them and respect them and care for them. And you know, it's an opportunity to minister as well to them. And, and that's just that way of love acting in you. Verse 13 uh, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That idea of opening up uh, not just your home, but, but ministering to people in a sense of, of, of their needs. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Uh, verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. In verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
verse 20 and 21. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the whole idea is how we're to interact and relate to one another uh, as Christians, how we're to relate to the world around us. And then Paul kind of hits this picture again here in Romans 13, that the, the focus of love. And there's all sorts of, of, of psychology over the years, in the last uh, several decades, especially really even going back to the late 1800s, that talk about the need for love and, and our love to, uh, and our need to give love. In other words, to receive and to give. That is a basic need. We need to be loved and we need to give love. And so in the framework of as a Christian, uh, we want to do that within the very light. God has given us his love. We need to share that love and, and pass it on. The, uh, one of the descriptions in, in, in Weiss was, you know, we need to see love, hear love, feel love, experience love. Uh, in order for it to be complete in us. Uh, Paul speaks three times here in, in these uh, verses to love another, one another, to love your neighbor. And this is basically Leviticus 19.18 says you know, that we are to love our neighbor. Uh, you find it in Galatians chapter 5. We find it in James chapter 2. The idea of, of loving your neighbor. It's no small item, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And I don't think that we, you know, we think about all the other things that Christians are supposed to do, but this is, this is the one that's mentioned over and over and over again. In fact, even here in the book of Romans, we keep hearing it come up. And so we're going to take that focus and look at it this morning. Uh, you know, we start with the, the reality, God's love for us. It almost, you know, you, you almost sometimes because it's so overused, to go to John 3.16, but it's there and it's powerful. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What a powerful picture. God so loved. John 13, Jesus tells the, the disciples that you are to love one another, and the world is going to know that you are my disciples by the way you love each other. You look at uh, John 15, uh, verse 12. Uh, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In verse 17. These things uh, I command you so that you will love one another. Over and over and over, we see this picture of, of needing to love. Now, as we look at this chapter, specifically uh, chapter 13, we do have uh, a, the, the verse in verse 1, the phrase, let every person, uh, excuse me, that was verse 1, verse 8, owe no one anything. Now, some people take that verse and just parse it out like this and we're not to owe anyone. Therefore, Christians should not borrow any money. Uh, we should never be in any kind of debt, never use credit cards. And, and, and I'm going to suggest to you, well, I'm going to say where I stand on this, and that is that, that is not what that says. 
uh, what it's in, and we'll put it back into context in a minute. But the Bible speaks very clearly to borrowing and lending and, and the process that it would go through and the, and, and the reality of, of how, you know, not to use, to, to charge exorbitant and ridiculous interest rates and, and all sorts of things that the Bible speaks to about it. And so it's, it's something else that we're looking for here. And I want to backtrack to verse 7 for a minute. Uh, verse 7 says, Pay to all what is owed to them. In other words, at some point you have owed something. You know, pay to all that is owed to them. And then very specifically, certain areas. If you have taxes, pay them. If you owe revenue, which is a form of tax, then pay it. But now we see an abstract of this idea of what you might owe somebody is rather than something physical like money. If you owe somebody respect, then give it to them. If you owe somebody honor, then honor them. And so then it comes back and says, owe no one anything, I think might be easier defined as don't be delinquent in your payments. <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and after having just said what he says, don't, you know, Christians is a part of their witness. They don't get behind in their payments. They don't get behind in their taxes. They don't get behind, and they don't get behind in the way they honor and respect. We are to set the stage, the example of what it means to honor and to respect the people around us. And even when what? They don't deserve it. Again, we think of the, the first seven scriptures that the, the talk, uh, Paul talks about there in, in, in chapter 13 about submission to the, to the government, to, the, to those people in power. And very specifically, at one point, uh, he writes in, in another book, submit to the emperor. Okay, And who was the emperor at the time, again, that, that Paul was writing this? Nero. We would, we would look at it. You know, we're talking about, an, uh, uh, well, quite candidly, a man that most people believe was was mentally ill uh, and in control of an empire and was doing bizarre, and I won't even go into the details, but bizarre, hideous, and evil things. But Paul says, where, and, and we understand, we went through all of this, where it's possible, as much as it's possible, without disobeying the word of God, submit. Pay your taxes. Pay the revenue. Give honor where it's due, as well as respect. Be, and and I, the other side of it was be not to be delinquent. I could put it in reverse and say be paid up in these areas of giving honor, respect, and especially the area of love. You know, don't, don't be delinquent in payments, you know, and, 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 and be paid up as much as possible. But one area you'll never be able to get caught up in is love. You can say in a sense of a perfunctory sort of way, I have done the honor that I'm supposed to do, I've paid the respect, I'm, but you'll never run out of room to expand your love and to love more, even our enemies. How do you love an enemy? Well, one thing is you're told, you know, to pray for them.
Love is, I wrote down here, again looking at chapter 13 where Jesus in verses 34 and 35 told the disciples that, that they were going to be known as His disciples by the way they loved each other. And, and in 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 18, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, an active love. Something that can be displayed. And this, this idea of, 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 of love and even your enemies, again, chapter 5 of Matthew, even our enemies, is the idea that how not only when you're around somebody, but how you regard people when you're not around them but maybe other people that you are around. For instance, uh, well, I, I can tell you, I, I've been in, uh, in the grocery store in one aisle and hear somebody talking in the other aisle or down the aisle about their pastor or someone else in the church and not particularly kindly. Now, coming, you know, if I were coming from a non-Christian point of view, my first thought would have to be, and it has been in the past when I've heard that kind of stuff before I was a Christian, why would I want to be a part of that? How important are our words about people and, our, and, and the idea that how we're to express and to honor and to respect and to love outside of the context of being with that person? A lot of times we think, while I'm around this person, I will be kind, I will be polite, I'll, I'll strive to be as loving as I possibly can and I'll work at it. But when we get away, we don't hesitate to talk about them. And I'm going to suggest to you that that is equally wrong, in or out of their presence. We should be noted as people who have the kind things to say about people. I recall when uh, Pastor Helton passed away and, 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 uh, in his funeral service, uh, first off, I was, I was so amazed at how many lives that he had touched all over Northern California, from, from San Francisco up, to the, the, up into Oregon. And his funeral, they did it at the, at the River Lodge because no church around here was big enough to hold it. And you know, thought it would have got redundant for a minute, but it was just so amazing that person after person after person got up and said, I never heard him speak an unkind word. And I was really pretty close to, to, to Randy. And he helped me through a, a couple of crises in my life and went through a number of things that pastors go through. Sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down. But I can tell you, it's true. He never laid the blame on anybody else. He never pointed the finger. And, and I don't know that he always felt that way. <laughs> but he was cautious and, 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 and I think respectful of verses like this of how he treated anybody, anywhere, anytime. And that has been a powerful thought to mine. What if I, if I looked at, you know, and, and at, a, at a funeral service, it's kind of like the epitaph of, of you know, your, your legacy. Uh, that's not a bad one to have, is it? I never heard him speak an unkind word about anybody. Now, it doesn't mean that, that, that Randy didn't have principles, that he didn't get on the, the, the edge and, and say, this is, you know, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. But he never did it with disdain. He never did it with, with, with that anger or, or he never did it 
in, in a sense of, of uh, in a way that would bring somebody down. He was always looking for the way to solve a person's need and to lift them up. That's what we're talking about here. You know, Paul makes a very specific, you know, he picks out four of the Ten Commandments that, you know, if you really love your neighbor, you're not going to commit adultery. Well, think about it. That's a pretty real picture. If you really love, now maybe we even need to define really love. That, in, in every case in, the, in, the, in Romans here, it's the agape love that, that Paul is speaking of in, here in chapter 13. That unconditional love. Why, you know, first uh, the very first thing was that in, in adultery, I'm showing my the the, the husband. Let's say in my case, if it's me, <laughs> I'm showing the husband no respect, dishonoring, and showing that I don't care for him and about him. And the irony of that is that I'm doing the same thing to his wife. I'm not showing her any respect. I'm dishonoring and disrespecting her, and truly not loving her either. Not in the biblical context, and not the way. So he picked adultery out as one of the areas. Murder, and you know what Jesus said about adultery and murder both, even in your mind. Stealing, coveting, and then he added, and any other commandment. <laughs> so covers everything. Uh, these, you know, and again, you know, I said. These, these things that, that are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Kind of brings you to the golden rule too in, uh, out of Matthew 7, and do unto others as you would what? Have them do unto you. And, and so that picture of, of, of how you want to be treated yourself with respect and honor and care. And, and I, I know... When I get out of out of step with this, I realize I get a critical attitude, and it may be towards a specific person, or or it could be towards a specific group. But normally, you know, this kind of anger that he's talking about normally is that one-on-one kind of thing, and and it gets to the point where I I'm I'm critical of that person, and it's just you know in conversation it slips out, you know, you know somebody says well so and so does this or something like this or. I said, yeah, just like George. <laughs> you know, well, you know, that's not honoring George. It's not lifting him up. I'm tearing him down. And that's wrong. And if I'd let it simmer, instead of doing what Matthew tells us, what Jesus tells us to do, and that is to go and to reconcile and to make, a, make peace, if I don't do, take care of it, it becomes hypercritical. And for me, the, the distinction of that is when I get hypercritical, George could do something right and I would see wrong. And what I've noticed is it starts to affect everything else. I become critical and hypocritical about everything. Just because I am not at peace with George. I'm, I'm disregarding the idea of, of seeking to be at peace and love. Again, Paul says earlier, as much as it's up to you to be at peace. Okay? And I realize <laughs> there's something as, as, as stupid as driving down the freeway. I, you know, I, I, I set my, I'm Mr. Self-Righteous here, 63 to 64 miles per hour, just in case the speedometer is off. You know, I want to be under, I want to be within the law. 
And so there I go. And somebody goes whizzing me past me. And I'll say, and then I come across somebody going 55 trying to save fuel. And I go, you know, nobody can do anything right. And so it affects everything. It really spills over into everything. It spills over into the home. It spills over into the workplace. In my case, it would spill over into the church. And, and so this idea is, is important. Jesus speaks of it. Paul speaks of it. James speaks of it. John speaks of it. And that is that we are to concentrate, to focus on asking God to open our hearts in such a way that we can have love for one another. And it starts first here in the church of how we treat one another here but then how we treat our brothers and sisters around the, the community as a whole. And then how we respect the leaders of our community. How, in other words, it, it, all of it is part of the witness of the, Bible, of, of the person uh, in Christ. I guess what I'm trying to say is our witness isn't just our words in the sense of saying, I'm a Christian. I got saved. Our witness is in the actions and the way we treat people in and out of the church Saved and unsaved. I think sometimes we get that attitude. Well, we treat the, the Christians, you know, the saved this way. Paul says, no, everybody, even your enemies. Scripture is pretty clear. If you have the chance to minister to your enemy and actually even feed him, you would do it. Because it's the right thing to do. Back over here into Romans. Verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Okay, reflection on what he had just written about the commandments and any commandment. We, we don't know. And by the way, the commandments, Paul is not, you know, he's not saying that that the way we look at the commandments and the way we are obedient to the commandments is what saves us. Christ is what saves us. But there's a sense of, of, of the commandments revealing to us what is the right way to, to be and to even give us the mind of God in the sense of what is holy and what is right to do. And so uh, he says, look at, and, and Jesus said very clearly, you know, the commandments that I've given to you, obey them. Uh, teaching uh, when we go out to disciple and, and to bring people into the Lord and so he says and teach them what I have commanded to learn how this interacts then with our life and I think of, of this doing no wrong to others and it automatically uh, led me back to the the chapter in in First Corinthians chapter thirteen and it never hurts to read this over if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love. And the love that Paul is talking about here in Romans, that same love. If I don't have this love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I've, known, I've heard all sorts of pictures of that, but the, be, the best one is the, is the picture of what a cymbal does. And if you've ever read, I, I think of, of the, the William Tell Overture or any of those where there's big cymbal crashes, or how about the, the, the War of 1812, uh, you know, at the end the, the cymbals are just going like crazy. And, 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 but every time it hits... It's just a loud, 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 just you, you're startled kind of uh, track. And yet it goes boom and just fades. And so Paul is basically saying, even if I speak in tongues of, uh, and, 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 but I don't have love, 
I'm just uh, uh, something that, that makes a loud noise and fades. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and the knowledge, which he says isn't really possible, but if I could, and if I had all faith so as to move uh, to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give uh, everything I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love and this is where you get this picture where it doesn't do anybody wrong. You know, it doesn't do your neighbor wrong. Love is patient. Raising children will certainly show you that. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It doesn't speak up about itself and puff itself up. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. That means it's sacrificial. You're willing to give up your rights, if you will, for the blessing to somebody else. It doesn't assist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It doesn't gloat when, when even you're, you're the person you don't care for makes a mistake. It doesn't gloat. Serves him right. <laughs> it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And again, you can't run out of, of the giving. In other words, it's, it's constant. You can, you can get caught up in your bills, you can get paid off and all these other things, but love keeps going and, and it's always required of us. Uh, I can't remember which group it was now, but they were told how, how their, their reputation was. The Thessalonians, their reputation was how well they loved and, and everything. And Paul says, and love more. I, I sat back just contemplating this and thinking, God's love for me. I got very personal in, 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 in my thoughts about it. And I thought, wow, yeah, you know, when you know, God loved me from the time I was was born. And then it was that that reality check. No, He loved me before the foundation of the world. Now I know He loved you too, but I'm, I'm just, you know, he, he loved me before the foundation of the world. And He's going to love me eternally. <laughs> and I realize it's kind of like saying I've never been not been loved by God. <laughs> and it gave me goosebumps again. I, I'm just I'm that I don't know why, but that just overwhelms me. The God of all creation loves me. The incarnation is the proof. Jesus, the Son of God, Emptying himself. Becoming flesh. Becoming a man. Even a servant to men. Even to the point of the cross. And what Jesus did on the cross was he took 
every, and again, I'm still personalizing this, he took every wrongdoing, every sin, and, 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 and I'm going to be very specific about it, every missing of the mark. The bullseye is God's holiness. Everything that I've ever done that missed the mark, missed the bullseye. He took it to the cross on my behalf. And something that is paid in full is what I owed in God's judgment. The wrath of God. Jesus paid mine in full. And I look at that and I'm just amazed. And you come to that, that, that picture, we sang it. You know, what's going to separate me from that love that He has? Nothing. Nothing created can separate me from the love of Christ. It's an amazing thought. Not only is it nothing, but I am viewed and will be received eternally with no condemnation. No judgment due to my sin because Jesus took care of it for me. In His infinite love for me, He finitely, in other words, He paid it off. (laughs) Paid in full. So the debt is paid. There's nothing owed there. But yet His love is I draw from. And so this picture of of realizing, where does my love even come from that I can have for you, that I can have for my wife, that I can have, that Paul's talking about? It comes from him. It's not something that originates with me. It originates with him in me through the Holy Spirit. So how do I wrestle with this in the sense of of, of wanting his love? Well, I think of what he he says in Galatians uh, is is to uh, be, be not to look to the world to be filled with wine, but to, to, to look to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And within my prayer life is that desire, that want to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit that I might be who He wants me to be in every situation that comes up. Now, I interfere with that constantly. So therefore, I need to be praying it. How often? Constantly. And what's the indication? How do I know if it's working? I'm not the person I was. And hopefully, uh, you know, my, uh, you could, uh, my wife would testify that I am not the person I was when I first became a Christian. That there's a sense of... of uh, Love that it works through me. And that it becomes somewhat obvious in my day-to-day walk. As we filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, he says the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of being filled with the Spirit, the fruit of walking in the Spirit, and we all know the, the verses, Galatians 5, 22, 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And you've all heard me probably at this point preach on this before, but Love is singular here. It's not the fruits of the Spirit that it spoke about. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And I believe demonstrated in eight ways. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And we see it in the joy, the peace, 
the gentleness, the self-control, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness. And he says, against such things are no, there is no law. Or in verse, do these things, you fulfill the law. Again, this morning, I, I rather than, than go further with this this morning, I want to, to stop here. Come back to this. The incarnation is the way God chose to demonstrate His love for us. By taking our sin on Himself. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh. As a result, and I'll say we at this point now, we will never know the wrath that we deserve, the judgment that we deserve. Because Jesus took it on for us. That's how much He loves us. That's the, the, the perfect picture of sacrificial love. And He tells us that we are to have that same kind of love, sacrificial love. And you've heard me say this many times, I'm third. God is first. The other man is second. And I'm third. And when I take that attitude, it means... Everything I can do to make the other person well, whole, encouraged, uplifted, loved is my responsibility. And if it costs me something, that's okay because my, my joy comes in seeing their blessing. Even an enemy. You know sometimes how hard it is to see someone you love and in your family or whatever, get blessed in some special way, maybe especially financially or something, and you kind of get envious. And well, you know, even you know, we're not supposed to be there, but even our enemies, when they get blessed, we can turn around and say, "God, let them see you in that." And pray. Love completely in Christ demonstrated. He paid in full my sin. My, my judgment so that I can eternally rest in His love with no condemnation. I ask the ushers to, to come. Uh, we serve communion this morning and uh, as you take the emblems, hold them until we've all been served and we'll share together.
gave us these symbols, the bread and the, the cup of, of wine, to remind us of his great love and the reality of that love that we rest in, that it's all paid through by what he has done. And so, again, holding the bread... You know, that night at the, at the supper that he shared with the disciples, the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. It says he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for you. 
And as often as you eat it, he asked them, he said, do it in remembrance of me. So here we are sharing this bread 2,000 years plus later, sharing it and, and realizing the God of all creation came in the flesh to save us. And he did it. And here we remember it in his name. Let's share the bread. holding the cup up at the end of the meal, he said, my blood poured out for you. And Paul makes it clear that this is something we're to do until he comes again. And so here we are doing this until he comes again. And it's in his blood that we have the confidence. Not this cup of juice that, you know, in his blood shed for us that this symbolizes. And as we do it, we do it in remembrance of him until he comes again. It is an amazing thing to think, Lord, that in your eternal love you've put an end to eternal wrath for me. Paid in full. No condemnation. And as each believer rests in you, we rest with a confidence that through your blood, through your sacrifice, through the pouring out of your life to cover our sins, your perfect sacrifice is received by God in our place. Thank You. We rest in Your grace, Your mercy, Your love. And we ask, Lord, that that would indeed provide that love for us that we would have a joy and, and a peace and a gentleness and a kindness that overflows in such a way that it is the testimony You want and need in the community around us that others might ask, Why? that we could give a testimony as to the God of all creation, our Savior, and what He's done for us. We worship You. We thank You for the grace You've poured out on us. Cause us, Lord, to rest in it with confidence. In Jesus' name.